Hi everyone, this is Beautiful Minds. My name is Martin and this is Saz. Dr. Hello Saz. everyone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this this is going to be a very interesting podcast for both of us because we we started speaking to Taylor a few months ago and we really like her work. We've learned a lot from her and she's been a bit busy but now she's found some time to talk to us and she's a photographer and videographer. She's changed her direction a bit, personal branding and hopefully as... Can hear salt in the background barking, but um, yeah, we're very excited to speak to her. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to finding out about her work a little bit more and what her uh, some of her insights as well. Yeah, um, and hopefully, we can have a great chat. Yeah, as always, you'll hear our summary afterwards, and you can take away our key points and what we took from it. And uh, you can find us on Instagram, Martin Stanley Group, same on YouTube. Website is martinstanleygroup.com and of course Spotify and iTunes are Beautiful Minds. So yeah, stay tuned. So, hi Taylor, uh, welcome to Beautiful Minds. Uh, hope you've been well. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries. Um, so yeah, just understand that you're a photographer and a videographer and you've been dealing with a lot of things that are trending in social media in the world in society especially with the millennials and post-millennials so how did you get into that uh i always had photography and tech kind of in my back pocket i've always been a little bit of a nerd um but then i got my professional start uh when i started working for body rock tv so uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of them before. I haven't as well, no. Tell us, tell us more about it. Yeah, uh, so uh, Body Rock TV is, uh, I guess, like the largest online fitness community for at-home hit-based workouts. And um, they started on YouTube, oh man, probably like 12 or 13 years ago when like YouTube was really coming up in terms of it actually being a viable option for people to make money. Okay. And uh, so they had a lot of viral success in those early days. They were doing pretty much an entire business based off of YouTube ad rev and it kind of exploded out of nowhere and they became influencers and like the beginnings of vloggers before it was really a full tilt profession. And uh, the company was run by a husband and wife team. The husband was doing all of the shooting and the wife was doing all of the on-camera work. My cat's about to pass through. All right. <laughs> What's uh, this is Boop. Boop. Oh. Yeah, go on, go on. <laughs> Part of, uh, she's two, I believe. Uh, she just came in from Egypt this year, so it's all a little bit of a guesswork. Nice. So have you got more animals or is that...? Uh, I don't. She is my only animal currently. Uh, I did have two dogs that I lost in my divorce, so this is my coming back to things. <laughs> you mentioned this on your story, actually. Today, I think it was. On um, There was like, have you ever lost a dog to divorce? And I was like... Mm. I don't, I don't know, you could lose a dog. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, we definitely tried shared custody for a while, but it was just not a healthy scenario for the humans or the animals involved, and uh, so had to let that go. Um, but uh, yeah, circling back to the, uh, the body rock thing, I guess. Um, what year was that? I think it was 2013, 2013 or 2014. That's okay. And before that, you had no like involvement with social media, YouTube, any sort of... 
like just on the on the fringes but not uh professionally i was always working in photography so i was working at studios and i was working with other people that like used it for marketing but i didn't really like dig into the depths of it i was always um oh can i swear by the way of course Okay, uh, so I was always, like, fucking around with social media before it was popular. So, like, I was building GeoCity websites and, like, doing MSN and doing Facebook and MySpace and all that shit, like, when I was young. And so I had a good grip on just the social platforms because I was an antisocial computer-based introvert. And so that was, I guess, my true start was hating humanity and living in my bedroom. Okay. But did you go to college? Like, did you at some point kind of think... I want to go down this route, but you didn't want to take that step up or that jump. You were kind of maybe apprehensive or. Uh, no, uh, I, so I went to school initially for English and comparative literature. And then once I decided that I wanted to be employed, I decided that I was going to go to school for film, which, uh, so I did my degree in uh, film production, largely with a focus on the business management side of it. So producing and like directing, I guess. Um, but it, it had no no basis in social. Uh, I my most of my experience initially came out of that job with Body Rock. Wow, and is that based in Canada? So was it based in Canada? Uh, yeah, the company is based in Canada. Okay, interesting. So when Body Rock kind of took off and then you joined, did you still keep up the job that you were doing beforehand and did this as well, or was it kind of like how did you transition? Yeah, for a little while I was, I still had the other job that I was working, which um, at the time I was working in a boudoir photography studio doing uh, editing and like client management and a little bit of shooting. And then uh, as I got more involved with Body Rock and my uh, obligations and responsibilities just got higher, it became a, a full-time job. I became a salary employee um, and I became kind of like an integral part of the team and just kept working up. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. We were talking yesterday, weren't we, about artistry and how, like, if they get rewarded as much as typical corporate jobs, because I think there's, like, two ends of the spectrum, isn't there? Yeah. What, like, either, you mean you get rewarded like, uh, a lot? Lucratively. Or, or sometimes, not very much. Yeah. Did you find that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had so much control in my job, and I was also working remotely that it was, like, I could either take off and do amazing things, or if I failed, the entire failure was mine and mine alone. And uh, thankfully, I was doing good work, and so I was getting rewarded, and I was getting promoted, and then I was eventually uh, given kind of more freedom, and that's how I started going more into the content creation side of things. Is once mm -hmm. I had done more of the management, um, I was doing a lot of like their SEO prep, their writer, their ro writer roster management, uh, dealing with the blog, dealing with ad revenue. Um, and then that was going really, really well. And it became the biggest moneymaker for the business at a time. And so then eventually they started giving me more trust. And so I started doing more of the uh, behind the camera work and shooting their talents and actually producing their content. You mentioned you went to school and did business management as well as videography and filmmaking. At what, yeah. At what point did your management skills come in and kind of maybe even override the artistry size like did you always have that balance or did one eventually take over the other it was always back and forth depending on like what the need in the company was um but pretty much right away um i was managing their roster of writers so uh i wasn't training anyone in person um, the majority of the company was remotely done and so we were kind of all all over the country but our writers were all over the world because the community was that large so 
at its height, I probably had 150 uh, writers on my roster at my disposal, and I was working frequently with about 25 to 30 to help them build out their online avatars on the website and figure out like what niches they would serve, when they would be turning out content. Um, and then we kind of had like our own internal system of feedback, of ranking, and of just trying to produce, we were basically just trying to go viral constantly. And so trying to hit those different uh, benchmarks for what would do it. Do you, would you say that at the time you did something that wasn't previously done before, like kind of almost like a pioneer? Yeah, like in terms of uh, content marketing on Facebook and that becoming the mainstay of someone's finances. Yeah, absolutely. It was before the automation tools had really um, come up to the level that they're now at. It was before social media was squashing reaches or knew knowing that people were running these types of businesses. And so there were no rule books. There weren't a lot of tools to figure out like how to do these things. Uh, we were tracking all of our own analytics, just compiling them weekly based on the small uh, reports that the apps would give us and then making a lot of inferences. So a lot of it, almost all of it was done by hand. So it's, it's interesting you mentioned the rule book because I think that's something that's also present in your, the arts that you produce today, the system, the rule book, the squashing, the, so, so we can come back to that later. But then when you were at Body Rock, how long were you there for and what happened after that? Uh, I was there in that particular role for almost three years uh, and then I stepped fully into the production role for another year mm -hmm. and it was getting to the point where the company was getting large and getting a lot of attention and they were looking at uh, bringing in outside investment and so we started negotiating because I kind of reached a level for what they were capable, to pay, capable of paying me and uh, so we were looking at doing an equity deal. And uh, we got pretty far into that. We had our lawyers involved. And honestly, it just fell apart in the paperwork stages. Uh, trust really came up and became an issue. And uh, eventually, I chose to walk away from all of it. Mm. Just in case someone doesn't know, like the equity deal, is that just, just to kind of broaden that definition? Like uh, so I would have received in lieu of further compensation, I would have received a percentage of the company. And because the goal of the company was to package it and sell it, I would have received that percentage on the sale of the company. And when you joined, did you know the strategy was to grow and sell? Yes. Okay. So it wasn't something that surprised you? That wasn't? No. Okay. no. Interesting. And then when you moved on from there, what what was your kind of aim like did you want to do something more organic fulfilling or did you want to go back into another startup challenge that was growing so i wanted to deal like i loved the community that we had but i had a lot of uh moral conflicts around the information that we were pushing and the style around the content it was very very hypersexualized. it was really focused on a specific type of woman and it felt it didn't, it didn't resonate super well with me in terms of like what I wanted to represent, especially going forward into the industry and this being kind of like my break into it. I didn't know that I wanted my name to only be attached to this one type of imagery. Okay. Um, and so my goal leaving it was to still stay in the health and wellness realm, uh, but to serve niches that were like true health and fitness. And so I wanted to work with 
practitioners and coaches that had information to more valuable information that maybe seemed a little bit less sexy or a little bit more boring and that was harder to get out to a larger group of people just because it wasn't as clickable. And so that was my goal upon leaving, uh, aside from also like who the fuck knows because it kind of came down to an emotional choice. Um, but yeah, my goal was to get involved with things that maybe weren't as large but mattered a little bit more. What does health and wellness mean to you? I remember you mentioned that earlier. So what, what, what does that mean to you? And how has that changed over time? Yeah, for sure. Um, what does health and wellness mean to me? I guess it just means quality of life. How do we go about taking care of uh, our flesh bags? How do we go about taking care of our brains? How do we really optimize our life? And uh, it has changed over the years as I've, worked with different practitioners both on a professional level and a personal level that I think I'm now more focused on uh, like optimization and almost biohacking in terms of how can we get the most out of ourselves with the least input or just the most pragmatic and strategic input. Mm. Have you, um, I forgot his name, is it um, Asprey? He's the author. Dave Asprey, yeah. Yeah, the author of the new book, Superhuman, and he was a yeah. C- I think he's still the CEO of um, Bulletproof Coffee. He is. He has a great podcast. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. So, what, what do you think about what he has to say? Uh, I think he's very opinionated. I think that uh, his adage of wanting to live to 180 being repeated in every podcast gets a little bit annoying. But that being said, I'm a big fan of the Bulletproof podcast. Uh, I think he's got a lot of interesting guests on. I like the way that he hosts his debates where like there is room for multiple perspectives. But I think in terms of going for longevity and thinking that we can can do better than the rules that we've already been given, I 100% agree with that. But, um, I mean, 180, is that a kind of marketing ploy? Do you think that's... Yeah. Yeah? Oh, absolutely. Like, it's... I don't know how many of those episodes that you've listened to, but he says it in every single one. And so, he obviously has got a hook. It's a question that he, like, closes out all his interviews with. And so, I think there's some... I think there's some truth to it that our life expectancy is not it's not living up to its true potential but i think that's a bit far-fetched and also like what's what's the skin gonna look like at 180 what's what are the bones gonna feel like how are the joints gonna be functioning like maybe it's doable but at what quality Mm. he's had to reverse a lot of it as well because i remember he talks about his health was his health was in a bad state at one point Mm -hmm. and he had to reverse a lot of that damage and now he wants to kind of you know keep reversing it more and more and he talks about having t- the testosterone of a 25-year-old when he's 100. And I'm like, I'm not sure. Like, says as a doctor, I don't know. What are your thoughts? <laughs> How old is he? Um, he's like 45 now, right? Something. I think so, yeah. Oh, so he's very young. Yeah, relatively, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean very young. Because, I mean, you, you can say that he's lived half of his life, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, the life expectancy is always increasing. And, um, yeah. I mean, living to 90 is a great possibility these days i mean 180 does sound a bit far-fetched um but you know when we're talking about 90 and 100 that's uh, that's kind of the reality very soon mm-hmm. and even even now who else do you see do you see as um a pioneer in biohacking 
pioneer in biohacking. Uh, I don't know that I'm super great with the names of who I think is at the forefront. Uh, I really like Michael Pollan. Uh, I think that his information around nutrition and psychedelics and uh, just accessing more of our mind uh, is great. Uh, I read his book, um, How to Change Your Mind, which 100% changed mine. Um, uh, I also really love Kevin Rose uh, for the same reason where I think he amalgamates a lot of really good thinkers and speakers. And I think that's really what it is in terms of like the pioneers. It's just taking different ideas and comparing them against what we initially had uh, and kind of going forward with that momentum. Interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot more people that are holding information and maybe for whatever reason, it's not being put out there in the same format as a podcast or as an article, you know, for example, and a lot of channels now um, are having different guests. But I wonder if we're going to have a lot more information released and a lot more publications coming out with more information, um, and especially through the expression of art. And I think that's something that you're working through. Um, so I don't know if you're going to be working on biohacking in your art, but it's, it's certainly a talking point. It's a buzzword these days as well. Absolutely. Um, I haven't stepped into that too much professionally yet, but what I have been working with and trying to kind of do that exact thing is working with other uh, like movement based professionals, working with osteopaths, working with people that kind of have like off the beaten track credentials and experience that don't necessarily like have amazing information, but don't necessarily have a great on-camera presence or don't really understand a lot about marketing. And I think you're totally right where there's so much amazing information out there, but because these people don't know how to hold this type of conversation in this way, because it's not entertaining, mm. it gets shoved to the side or it just gets lost in the noise. And so then you find these these pseudo doctors or these TV doctors are coming up and they get all the attention because they got a great face and a great voice and a great spiel and they're going to live to 180 and da, 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 and like, and then that's so easy to catch on to uh, that we miss a lot of the really quality hard science that also exists out there. Do you, do you find that's the case with yoga? I know you've been exploring yoga quite a lot. Um, oh yeah. The yoga industry right now is basically a pyramid scheme. And do you see that changing or is that something that is? I think it'll change as the demand for more physical practices come up because as we are more connected to our devices, the things that we are actually lacking is human interaction. We're lacking eye contact, physical contact, all of those things that make our mammal bodies super happy and flourishing. We have a serious depletion of it. And so practices like yoga have gotten so far away from the fundamentals because a business built around it and a very successful business built around it. But eventually that's going to flip to the other side where the people that are seeking out these, these outlets still need them for their core purpose. They need that connectivity. They need that community. They need that one-to-one -one human based interaction. And so I think just like anything, it's going to be cyclical. We're going to get to the top of something where it's exploited to the utmost point that it can be. And then it'll tip over and it'll become not cool again and it'll go back into dipping into like the roots the figuring out where it's such an ancient practice it's such a lifelong tradition that it's got to have a resurgence in a new way where we will again treat it differently do you ever feel that your talents would be kind of sold out at one point do you think you'll ever kind of like reach the point where you think i'm not going to focus on such a small niche i'm gonna give give them what they want to see you know feed the mainstream 
what they want? Or do you think you're always going to have that niche and slightly narrower focus? It's hard to say um, because I think like there's, there's a side to everything where we need to eat and we need to feed ourselves and, you know, put the roof over our head. And so that part of me, uh, and because I do enjoy and have a basis in business, thinks that there's always going to be a part where you have to serve the larger market in order to just participate in this world. But that being said, what makes my heart happy and what makes me happy as a creator has never been what the, the mainstream wants. Yeah. So let's talk a bit more about the creative side then. When you left Body Rock and then you started focusing more on content creation, when did you start defining exactly what you wanted to put out there? When did you start making that blueprint? Or yeah. Initially, I thought that I was going to stay in fitness and that I was going to become a fitness photographer and that I was just going to have kind of this edge because I also had videography and I had like, just more experience putting entire packages together. And so that was initially what I set out to do freelance wise was help uh, other fitness professionals get their websites together, get their eBooks done and like just basically put their, um, their entrepreneurial efforts online. And then what I started noticing is that entrepreneurs can be really lazy and avoidant and get really fucked up with the things that are going on in their own heads and get in their own way. And so I would find that no matter how hard I was working for certain people, they usually were the stopgap where progress would stop because they wouldn't be able to hold up their end of the deal. They would be too emotionally involved in something or whatever. It would kind of fall apart in that way. And so I kept trying and then I started serving slightly different niches that weren't necessarily fitness professionals that weren't necessarily on-camera people that's when I started gearing more towards like okay maybe we'll go to the chiropractors the osteos the people that have more of a professional background but don't necessarily have a social presence and I noticed that the issue was pretty much the same there where these people were intellectualizing to such a high degree that they were stopping their own progress and so eventually I kind of threw my hands up and said fuck it I will do it if people don't want to put their shit out there, they don't want to put their opinions out there and open themselves up to criticism or whatever, I guess I have to do it for myself because I have to make money, I have to keep doing this, and I'm really sick and tired of seeing these amazing people with amazing potential get in their own way. And what did you do? Uh, I started hiring, uh, I tried to like build my own team basically. So I started outsourcing graphics. Uh, I hired a business manager. I, uh, hired a ghostwriter to start helping me turn out more content, uh, start writing my workshops together and basically trying to put more of my digital life together, uh, quickly and put this persona out there so I could start trying to catch it, cash in on the, uh, passive income. Okay. And uh, when, when was that? Uh, that was most of last year. Okay. And, uh, and how do you see the progress that you've made uh, from that point up till now? It's been a year of learning. Uh, so the majority of what I learned last year was also, if you want something done right, you should probably do it yourself. Okay. And you can't no matter how well you pay other people, you can't pay people to care about your dreams. And at the end of the day, if again, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you really have to do it yourself. And so I got a lot of work done around, uh, I was teaching two workshops for a photography collective that I belong to that um, I ended up 
teaching three sold out classes uh, this past summer. And so the team that I had was simultaneously helping me serve the freelance clients that we were still doing like social media marketing and content creation for while also building up my own persona. And I learned that it's a agent, the agency model is great in theory, but not great for profit. And I did not want to be managing people really at that point. And so I wrapped it up after the workshops and I started thinking about how am I going to do this by myself pretty much. I mean, more in your personal life now, because I remember you mentioned the divorce, like mm -hmm. going through your career, did at any point you kind of want to take the easy ticket and go for like what's comfortable just so that you can focus more on the personal side of it. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I never wanted to take the easy route because I, I have quite an option for that. Uh, I have a family business that's quite successful that my I'm the only child. My dad would love for me to go and work for him, and I can't stomach the idea of it. Uh, uh, he runs a tourist company in Niagara Falls, Ontario. Wow. Okay, amazing. Have you been this since? I haven't, no. <laughs> yeah, so there's like a... There was an opportunity right there for me to step into easy money, like a guaranteed career. And I, I looked, I honestly looked at him and I'm like, he's an amazing businessman. I, I admire him in a lot of ways, but I don't think he's happy. Mm. And so when I started looking at that, I was like, you have so much money and you have so much success and so much notoriety. But at the end of the day, you still can't sleep. You're still not healthy. He has a terrible heart condition. He's got a lot of health problems. And I just, kept thinking like I don't want to be that so you've taken a bit from him and a bit obviously from your creative side and you've tried to blend the two yeah I've tried to be as selfish as possible and say like I want to create a hundred percent of my reality I guess so going back to the personal um uh, and the work related uh stuff so how do you see the two sides do you how do you separate them and do you separate them at this point, they are so blurred that uh, that is something I'm working out in therapy, trying to figure out what lives on what side. Okay. Um, and that's kind of become, that's kind of come about because a lot of my photography and my photography clients have been so emotional that it has become, uh, I guess it's bled from one side to the other. Um, but most of my, a lot of my personal life does bleed into my work. Like the, the kink themes and the sexual themes that started coming out in my work, like that's all from my personal life. That's not stuff that I initially thought I was going to bring out creatively. It's stuff that just started coming out creatively when I was shooting fitness. And I would shoot these amazing, beautiful women that had these epic bodies and we would shoot all of this content together that they would be super, super excited about. And then they would say like, Oh, these are my favorite images, but I can't use any of them because like, they're so sexual. They look, they're so powerful in these certain ways. And I started realizing that my own mind was being projected onto what I was creating. And so then I started to try and actively bring it in versus passively push it away. And so I guess my, personal and professional life are so blended at this point that it's almost problematic. How has the network changed? Like you were dealing with a lot of these, um, I guess, kind of stereotypical six pack abs, mm -hmm. shredded, uh, cutting and bulking, right? That kind of- Yep, yep, totally. And now your network is more with kink, with different types of yoga. I know you've shed a lot of different profiles on your stories. Yeah, so I've got uh, like a pretty even mix between very specialized movers, um, 
healthcare practitioners and uh, sex positive people. So that's probably who is, is the predominant part of my network now. Is there anyone in your network that's missing? Like you think, oh, I need to add like more diff- like different types of profiles. I mean, I, I know you work a lot with women. Is, is yeah, I do work a lot with women. I would love to work uh, more with men, which is something that uh, I have been actively trying to do a little bit more. I guess the part of my uh, network that's missing or that I want to bulk up is like I, I'm trying to work more now in the cannabis space now that um, it's legal in Canada. And so that is the smallest part of my network. So, and you mentioned psych- psychedelics before. Mm-hmm. Is that also something which you're, you're experimenting with in your arts or? Uh, only personally. It's something that I started experimenting with for mental health and for just like self-expansion. Uh, I would love to start br- branching into that, that professionally. Um, there haven't been a ton of outlets that I have had access to as of yet. Um, but yeah, would love the opportunity to. I know the other day when we spoke, we talked about Costa Rica. Um, and I know they have these ayahuasca camps. Um, is that something that you've ever experienced or uh, I haven't. Uh, I, again, I would love to. That's something that's definitely on my list. Uh, as of right now, I'm quietly courting uh, a potentially a guided DMT trip for December. Um, but as of right now, it, it's something that I kind of fell into accidentally based off of um, my current partner. It's something that he, uh, he's also a cinematographer, he's highly creative, and he's used psych- psychedelics for a long time to help him like envision things. And so like when we started dating, it was something that we were going to do just for fun. Uh, and I'd had a little bit of experience with it previously while I was going through my divorce. And I noticed that like a lot of emotions had come up. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't really correlate the two experiences. And then when I started going through them with my current partner and just feeling like these profound shifts and these things in which you couldn't ignore, we started trying to tap into that more and we started trying to facilitate them. And so now they've become kind of like quarterly trips for us where every four months we'll rent a cabin off in nowhere. We'll plan our intentions. We'll set our day and we'll kind of have our own ceremony, but we don't have, um, there's never been a guide involved in it. And you think a guided experience, would you say they're safer? Would you say, how does that affect the experience? In having a guide, it's definitely safer. And it's also safer mentally where it's easy to slip into holes. It's easy to go down rabbit holes and to get anxious. And so if you have someone there guiding you through it, or if you have yourself previously setting out kind of a roadmap for the journey that you want to take, it's less freeform and you have kind of pillars that you can step between for the experience that you want to have and the work that you want to do versus if you just take a bunch of drugs and hope for the best, whatever your subconscious wants to do is what the fuck it's going to do. It'll be interesting to see with your dad's experience with tourism, if you, if you were to tap into that and combine that with your um, interest in psychedelics and have guided tours using that, like I can see some sort of fusion there down the line. I'm not sure. You know what? It's funny that you say that. Uh, I've recently been speaking with someone that I'm again, working with like on the social media side where we've been talking about this and she, she wants me to do that for her. She wants me to guide a trip for her and I've never done that before. And so it's been, uh, but as soon as she said it, I was like, yeah, like that's a challenge I want to take on because I feel like that it, it absolutely blew my mind, changed my world, but it can also ruin your life if you're not ready for that. And so I think 
being able to hand that to other people in terms of talking about things that like doing things that matter that's something that like genuinely resonates with me and if i could figure out the insurance around something like that yeah <laughs> i mean talking on a personal note i know about stars but i would be really hesitant purely because on the social media side of things i don't see any like exposure or any kind of like you know you when I want to go out for a meal, I go on TripAdvisor. When I want to mm -hmm. check something out, I go on Instagram. What's their account looking like? But that ayahuasca ceremony that I, I heard about in Costa Rica was like, well, I can't see anything on Instagram. Like, I can't see anything on TripAdvisor. And I know if it was on there, people would say, oh, well, it's just mainstream. It's fake. It's like, you know, it's just commoditized for tourists. So what are your thoughts about kind of blending that into social, you know, social media is obviously very big, but how would you blend it in to make it? look tasteful but not like overly hollywoodized i think it's really about knowing your market and figuring out like who who it is that you're going after because you could try and do like the trip advisor thing you tr could try and make it look as sexy and as accessible as possible but are those the types of people that you want to deal with and is that the type of clientele that you want to be bringing into something like that and so i guess in if i were to do it in my nature i would kind of stick to what i'm doing which is knowing that the content or the information isn't going to be for everyone and then that's okay and kind of going with the the black jelly bean theory is that the the people that hate you will stay away from you they want nothing to do with you but the people that love you will always look for you they will come back they will invest in you and they will try and find you no matter where you are and so going for validity uh quality and being specific on the ideal customer so that you are going after someone and not just spray and pray mm. and your you mentioned your your partner at the moment is in cinematography mm -hmm. how is that affecting your work and do you think if you were to go into that business in the future would would he would you want him involved yeah his presence has affected my work creatively greatly where um i've always had a bit of a one-up either technically or creatively on the people that I dated. And then all of a sudden there's this person in my life that is vastly more skilled and talented than I am. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden I'm looking at my photos. I'm like, shit, this isn't like, look at my lines, look at my exposure. Like I became so critical of what went online, but it made me so much more proficient um, because I started caring immediately so much more about what he thought of what he saw. Um, His account. <laughs> uh it's uh john simo j-o-n-s-i-m-o how did you guys meet i rented his studio and i showed up at his door and before that i quietly internet stalked him and didn't realize okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he's okay wow yeah he's, he's got some good stuff yeah wow and when did he start what was his kind of journey uh he went to toronto film school he's been a nerd much longer than I have. He's basically always had a, hand, a camera glued in his hands. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of brands there as well. Yeah, he does a lot of stuff for uh, BMW, Toyota. He does a lot of car stuff. He does a lot of like watch techie stuff. He's pretty. He's more well known in our area for doing things that are like time lapses or really con uh, complicated drone work or stuff that's like got algorithms involved that I couldn't even repeat for you. And do you think? When you work with bigger brands and you work for bigger checks, is that something that feeds into the artistry? Because then you know, okay, I can afford the better equipment, I can experiment more. Or do you think 
that it's always going to be that trade-off between the advancement and restriction with how creative you can be in or how you express yourself? It really depends on the level that you get to. Um, in my instance, I found it that it was a culture that I really didn't enjoy. Uh, I really didn't like the agency model when I was working with bigger brands. Um, and I, I didn't like, it kind of felt like going to the airport where there was so much unnecessary bullshit that stood in the way of something that could be otherwise really efficient that it just kind of destroyed the experience. I never got to a place working with larger brands where I had that type of control. Whereas for him and his work, he's finally gotten to a place where uh, like BMW recently just came, gave him a whole series of M5s and they said, here's your budget, here's your cars, do whatever. That's fun, yeah. And, uh, but that's rare. And other times he's getting jobs and revisions where I just don't understand how he stomachs kind of the process. But I know for him, it has been worthwhile to work up towards because he is someone that has kind of like not like Hollywood dreams, but notoriety dreams. I don't have that. I, I never really wanted to be known. I really never wanted to be the face of anything. And so as it started to happen for my own brand, it kind of happened reluctantly. Um, I always just wanted to be involved in things that had like more of an emotional, visceral connection to people. That was kind of my draw to content was uh, more documentary style versus uh, like true corporate style. So maybe that's kind of answering Saz's question earlier. Um, you've got a relationship there with like two similar professions, but clearly one side is a bit more niche and focused on independent content creation. And then the other one's kind of feeding into different projects and different. Absolutely. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. I, I basically refer to myself as his professional liability. <laughs> How does he react? Uh, he doesn't disagree, but he doesn't echo it. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to see. Maybe we can get him on that. <laughs> maybe. With um, so so I want to go back to that point we mentioned earlier because it is it is a talking point. I mean, Instagram, um, their organic reach is is going down quite a lot. Um, there's more platforms coming up. I know Patreon's been a popular one for paid content access. Uh, TikTok. TikTok. Stas likes TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so what is the plan? I mean, I know you've expressed your concerns on Instagram many times before. Mm -hmm. Just what, what's, what's my next plan? Yeah. Or what's your thoughts on it? Like what, I mean, the, I know the arts represents one thing and then Instagram is saying the complete opposite. Like you can't have it. Mm -hmm. so, it's, it's a tricky time. Uh, I think for small businesses, like it does make me genuinely very concerned. Uh, so it makes me concerned kind of on two sides. One, the clientele that I was initially serving, they're now seeing, they're having a harder time seeing my purpose because these platforms are becoming so loud and inaccessible that it's hard to say like this will genuinely translate. Here's what our ROI is. Here's what the conversion rate is going to be. It's now I have to be brutally honest and say, your social media is not your place of sale. It is basically for awareness for your brand. And however much you want to invest in casting your net as wide as possible is how much you should invest in me. Um, but then on my personal side of things, I, I know that I'm like on the edge of deletion on pretty much every platform. I've pushed it as far as I possibly can, where I, I'm at the end of strikes, where I am shadow banned, I am this, I am that. I'm I'm surprised they even allow me to post at this point. Um, so my next plan is is Patreon and is moving into 
paid content, which I have mixed feelings about. Um, outside of that, my next, my, I guess, next goal for myself is to more deal internally with larger companies. And there's going to be a point where I have to start to shut down certain certain clients that I've been serving, certain smaller businesses where I no longer think that social media is really a viable option for them or just like a good use of their limited funds. And when you say, you know, you're on the verge of being shut down on multiple of these platforms, uh, uh, just for, for our listeners, can you, can you clarify, you know, what the, what the issues have been around? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, I've posted a lot of implied nude or sexually suggestive risky content uh, on Instagram that has been removed multiple times. As a result, I have been pretty much under a consistent shadow ban for the last, I'd say like 12 to 18 months, which means that my content is no longer being served to new people outside of my already existing audience. And so if I use hashtags, they won't appear under the hashtags. If someone is trying to tag me internally in a photo, you can't do it unless you type out my entire username. They try and make you as invisible as possible. Okay. And so um, I've had multiple strikes on my Instagram account where they're no longer just telling me that I am violating the terms of service. They are now serving me with notices saying that I'm at risk for deletion. Okay. And then on the Facebook side of things, because of the um, sex positive community that I uh, do a lot of photography work in and post in, um, we've, I've had to set up shell Facebook accounts because every time you get a strike on Facebook, they actually kick you out for X number of days. And so it initially starts as like 24 hours, then it moves up to uh, seven days or 48 hours, maybe seven days, and then it goes up to 30 days. And so um, it was happening when I was trying to market my workshops. And because one of my workshops was based around erotica, uh, I had to have four separate shell Facebook accounts, all connected to all of the same platforms at the same time. Per chance I got kicked out of one, I could then dip into the other. Uh, and then like the censorship has gotten so much that it's gotten down to words. And so it's no longer images. You can't use words like nudity. Uh, you can't use words like erotica. And so things that were built into the product that I was trying to push then yeah. became obsolete. Wow. That must be quite uh, difficult. You know, when you're trying to promote something and then you're at risk of just being, you know, deleted or kicked out for a certain period of time. You just put emotional effort into building the stuff yeah too, so it's exactly like, imagine it yeah yeah what, what does that tell us about society then maybe like because i'm just thinking if okay, obviously it's, it's a known thing that we're becoming more sensitive like a lot of what we're doing is being tracked online mm -hmm. like how, how do we express ourselves and if social media is not there to express us anymore if, if we're being controlled on that as well like what, what i mean what is the next step in terms of trends where are we going to go to do this because like my um the the owner of Body Rock has become quite a mentor for me and is someone that like we have a really good working relationship with still and uh, when I started thinking about um getting into the cannabis space he's someone that I was consulting about this because I think as we were mentioning previously the Canadian laws around advertising for cannabis are absolutely insane and they're so like it's such a clenched butthole and so I was talking to him about this and I'm like how the fuck are we going to do this how are we going to get this on social media and his point was, you have to remember that social media is not a platform. It is not this place for free speech, and it never was. It's a business. 
And just because we have all decided to invest our data, our time, our information into someone else's business, and we're no longer happy with how they're treating us, that is not their fucking problem. Their mandate was never to be a news source. They just became one. And so the fact that they have political beliefs and they have their own agendas, we just need to get along and go along. And that's unfortunate that it's our perception of what the, these things should be that has gotten so muddied where we're sensitive. Like, oh, we're getting censored. It's like, it's a business. It's straight up a business. You can't walk into the gap and take out your dick. You can't do these different types of things based on what they want to do. And so the internet in itself is still a platform for, for free speech, but social media never was and wasn't intended to be. It just got out of hand from the creators, and now they're trying to rein it back in and run it as the business that they wanted it to be. It's an ad platform. That's powerful because I think in a, if anyone's listening to that, that's, that's from a marketing point of view and from a psychological perception point of view, like that, that's twisted. Yeah, because you think like, oh, great, this is a digital platform for me to express myself. Because if I shout outside the balcony, only like ten people are going to hear me. But if I post something, then the whole world will see it, and that's great. That's that's what we want. But then what you just said is the complete opposite of that, which is, no, they can muffle you if they want. They can. Pretty much, like we. Uh, well, what was I gonna? What was I gonna say on that? We. We wanted it to be this platform for free speech but in reality what it always has been and what they've been doing is data mining like it was never about social networking it was never about connecting your community and being able like global society no it's just about getting our information and it was about our generation or i'm not quite sure how, how old you guys are but if we're all in that same kind of area it was just about figuring out the densest most complete customer profiles i think the fact that we were on that impression in the first place tells us a lot about a their intentions and b i mean it gives us an insight into what their plans might be for the future because like you know history tends to repeat itself so mm -hmm. is tiktok a new platform that's just going to become another version of the instagram the facebook's which restrict and control everything like you said even if the nipple is showing they're going to report it and the question mark should be why is a nipple offending anyone because it's you know like you said it's nudity to an extent where yeah you can express yourself artistically but then you're not offending anyone it's it's a bit it's it's, it's gray territory for us or for me at least you know? it's it's true and like human sexuality and like it's the oh, prostitution is the oldest profession that's known to man and yet we are policing these things mostly because we're scared of our bodies. We're scared of our autonomy at this point. And I think like anything, like just like about the, the yoga cycle, like there has to come a breaking point. There has to come a point, especially for the younger generations that are coming up going, we won't take this. We can't take this. We didn't grow up with the platforms changing. So there's going to be power in numbers. But that being said, I genuinely don't know what's going to come next. What I see in the foreseeable future for these platforms is we've just got so many large conglomerates at this point that are getting bigger and bigger that they're going to keep eating up the TikToks, the Instagrams, the boomerangs, like all of the ones that have been absorbed into these powerhouses. That's going to continue to happen for a while. But we see Zuckerberg uh, in front of Congress right now doing God knows what. Um, the, 
we're going to face some sort of turnover, but I don't know what direction it's going to go in. Is it going to go way more in terms of like, these are PC spaces, these are, we might as well be walking into an elementary school, or are we going to go rogue and have other things like um, discourse boards and more like Reddit style yeah. uh, platforms coming up where they really are kind of run an anarchy, like through anarchy and through um, the public forums. I'm not sure. We'll see if there's a self-correction process. Yeah. So talk us through what a typical day looks like for, for you. For me, uh, every day is a new fresh hell uh, because I am totally freelance. And so I have uh, the only consistency that I really have in my schedule is the shit that I decide is going to be consistent. So like my health practices, my like appointments that I keep literally every day is different. So I can tell what time do I wake up yeah. uh, on average somewhere between 630 and 730. Okay. And how many hours of sleep do you get a night? I'm trying for eight. That's not always happening. Uh, like eight to 10 is my ideal. Um, but I'd say on average, I get about six or seven. Martin, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to give a bit of context to those two questions is um, Staz is reading a book called The 5am Club. And I'm reading a book called Why We Sleep. So like he's coming at me saying, bro, you've got to start waking up at five. Like, that's how you like go further in life. And I'm like, well, bro, yeah. this guy's saying that you've got to get like more sleep. So like, so. <laughs> that, that, that's is. the context of the two questions. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it really is a double-edged sword. Because I agree with both of you where like, I love my mornings. I feel super productive, like first thing. But on the other side of that, like, where do you get eight to 10 hours to sleep? Yeah, it's amazing. What if you read all these two books back to back, and then you kind of have to like hang on a minute. Like, yeah. what's going on here? <laughs> so I'd love to get those two authors in the same room. That would be yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Send a little. That'd be a great argument. What um, but but when you talk about health practices, I mean yoga, obviously healthy living, healthy eating. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you kind of would say you do that? I don't know, maybe you wouldn't, what would surprise us about your health practices? Uh, probably actually, because, uh, so I have a, uh, a, a genetic disorder called uh, Ayers-Danlos syndrome, or I'm currently going through the diagnostic process of that, uh, where it affects my connective tissue and my collagen. Uh, so it means that I, my joints are hypermobile. I've got a, like a bunch of weird party. Yeah, bend your fingers back. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can do this one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay yeah uh you, you want to see my full party trick yeah uh i don't know if the camera will capture it but let's see oh my gosh oh <laughs> okay so that uh so yeah so it affects my joints uh it affects my stomach it affects my heart my eyes um but also it affects my mental health uh, because it's very based in uh, the vagal nerve and the stability that I have uh, going up my spine. And so if my body gets fucky, my head gets fucky. And then if my head gets fucky, it can't work, can't move, can't do the things. So my health practices are pretty intense. Uh, I do a lot of infrared saunas. Uh, I do a lot of cold plunges. I do a lot of breath work. Uh, I do mobility and strength work about five times a week. Um, I go for osteopath adjustments, which feels like witchcraft, but at the same time, who, God knows what. Um, 
I'm on crazy diets to try and reduce inflammation. Uh, I do coffee enemas. Uh, What's that? Sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Coffee enema. What's that? Yeah. Enemas. No, man. <laughs> so, yeah. so basically, it's something you put uh, up your bottom to, uh, to help you go to the toilet. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and coffee enemas, if you take caffeine uh, into your system, but you skip the GI tract, you reduce inflammation. And so, yeah, it actually, like, really helps with, uh, like, knees and elbows and things like that. Wow. Yeah. Did you know that? I, I didn't know. Nice. He's a doctor, but he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that, wow, okay, that's really interesting. Um, and then to do with the kind of progress, like career progress, entrepreneurial progress, you said you had a mentor. Mm-hmm. We we've been talking about this quite a lot recently, um, and we both have like different opinions about. Oh no, we have. The well, same. we have similar opinions, but we, we can have debates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As in, um, we're, we're not. We're, we're trying to decide how necessary it is to have a mentor. I think it's very necessary, but Staz thinks. No, sometimes I, so I also I also think it's it it can be important, but also, I mean, there's always two two sides, and the other side of the argument is that basically. I think it can be used as an excuse not to take not not to take action because it's it's just like you know say if you go to school and then you you can you can keep learning and doing courses and doing all of these things all the time but what's really going to matter is when you actually take the action and not when you uh, take part in the learning process mm. because the learning process is good but if you procrastinate uh, then you're not actually taking the action yeah yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I guess my, my own philosophy on that is um, whenever I've solicited opinions from people, I've always kind of had this mantra in the back of my mind is like, don't take opinions, don't take advice from people you wouldn't want to switch places with. Okay. And so when I started looking for mentors, I started, I don't have just one, I have multiples. Okay. And I try and keep them very specific as to like, what am I coming to for advice for? It's this very niche thing. It's this very linear thing. I'm not trying to be you. I'm not trying to follow your path. But when I'm looking for advice on email marketing, or when I'm looking for advice on Photoshop or whatever, I have my human that I'm going to where I know that they are better skill or more skilled than I am in this specific area. And so I think my in my case, my mentors are very useful for uh, like niche learning, but there's nobody that I have in my life where I'm like, I would like to be you. That just, that doesn't exist. And in terms of education, like do you still spend a lot of time or even money investing in your education or does that just come naturally as part of the like package of working and what you do? Like you just for, uh, for a while I did um, and then when I when I quit my stable job and went out on my own is when it, it honestly felt like I stopped learning and over the last year I've felt that need really bubble up again where I'm so desperate to be in rooms with people that are bigger smarter more successful than myself because I have that drive to learn again but I think for the last like two to three years because it was so focused on me I was I had such intense imposter syndrome that I was so scared to say, I don't know, or I'm unsure that I stopped my learning so that I, I didn't have those opportunities to come up and question myself and just had to go full forward, full force, like forward with my own ego to make sure that I was still making money. And now that that's not fulfilling, now I'm looking around going like, I need to start learning again. What I was learning about throughout that entire process was this health condition that I was faced with. And so that 
kind of took the majority of my attention where that's how I started getting involved in biohacking. And that's where I started researching more about psychedelics. And so like that was always there, but that practice wasn't being used professionally. I'd say, I mean, I've seen you mention imposter syndrome before on, on your stories. What, what's your kind of full take on it? Because I think I have a slightly different take on it. So what's, what's yours? My take is that is kind of that place of inaction that I started seeing a lot of other entrepreneurs get into is where you can be an expert in something and you, you can have amazing knowledge, but because it becomes almost second nature to you, you start to question whether or not it's valuable or whether or not you actually know what you know. Um, and then on the other side of that is, is that constant like state of comparison that we're now in because of the nature of social media and online world that you look around and you see, you, you feel this information that you've got in your head, you feel your own perspectives. And then you look around and you see five other 5,000 other people that are more successful, more talented, have more X, Y, Z of whatever than you. And you go, well, there's no way I know anything because they're better than me. They know more than me. They've got more than me. And so is anything that I have worth saying or worth doing? And it kind of just becomes this like vicious cycle of inaction, either because you don't think it's valuable. You don't think you can, you measure up. Uh, Yeah. Pretty much those two. Yeah. I mean, for me, maybe it's just from personal experience, but I feel like uh, someone suffering from imposter syndrome can actually like that can be actually a hallmark of a high performer because they'd say like, oh, I have to work extra hard at this and that, 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 that kind of pushes them above the current bar or the current standards. And they don't even realize it because they're constantly questioning whether or not they're performing, whether they're delivering. So I think sometimes, like you said, if, if you feel like an outsider or a newbie, but then you work so hard to get better, eventually you could outperform so many others around you. So I I- yeah, I totally agree with that. But I, my take on that, I guess, is that's not usually how I've seen it manifest. Mm. I've seen it manifest in a way where people have done exactly that. They want to work to get to the top of their field or like the top of their niche or whatever. And then they do. And then they still have that same level of insecurity that they did at day one. And then because of that, they are too insecure to grow. And that's probably where mentorship would be very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like human error is like the bane of most of our existence. And so like it can either cause you to thrive or fail. Yeah. So um, what would you say like is your super strength? If I was to ask your partner, boyfriend, or if I was to ask your dad or mentor, what what would they say like is is Taylor's super strength? Uh, That's funny. That was the question that I was like really thinking about uh, when you sent them over. I was like, what, what is my super strength? And honestly, I think it's like, I can smell bullshit from a mile away. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Except my own. Like I'm an amazing liar to myself and like convince myself of anything. But uh, in terms of like reading nonverbal cues and understanding the subtext or context behind someone's, whatever they're saying, whatever they're selling, um, I have a weird knack of being able to feel it out, know when I'm being taken, when I'm being lied to, when something is being withheld, when someone is about to have like a very intense emotional response. And so I guess it kind of feels like supercharged empathy. Okay. So I'm going to ask a question I wasn't planning to ask, but since you said that. Sure. 
So what we're doing, what was your first impression on that? Martin's looking for a compliment. No. Because I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can sense one there. So Nice. That was nice. Yeah, that was really nice. <laughs> okay, so okay, so I'll 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 do that. I can stroke the ego. Nice. Uh, so initially, when you reached out, honestly, because I was looking around, I was like, "There's there's not a lot of following here. There's not a lot of like background reason for me to do this." So it kind of became something that was in the back of my mind. But you forced yourselves. Like you didn't force yourselves. You were just very personable, very present. You came back without being, without putting it on me. You were just constantly offering yourselves and being available and doing it in ways that you genuinely tried to connect. You didn't just like send me messages or send me emails. You sent me voice notes, you sent me videos of you and you very much tried to make yourselves this presence in my inbox without being an annoyance. And that was felt. And so when we started having the initial conversation and I realized like it, it, was a good conversation and we had a good dialogue that regardless of how big or how small this effort is, you both obviously care a lot about yourselves, your lives, your opinions, you carry yourselves well. And so I thought at the very least, this could be a very entertaining conversation with two intelligent individuals. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, he's got it now. <laughs> Did that work? Is that what you wanted? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's... it's, it's, uh, it's you, it's, you could sleep tight tonight. Yeah, I mean, no, but it's a good skill to have, especially, like, when you're a freelancer, because, I mean, you get, like you said, you get bullshitters everywhere, and when you're working on a project and it doesn't turn out to be what you thought it was, it could come back and tarnish your reputation or your personal brand. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's kind of my next question. How would you define your personal brand today? Oh, God. So you want me to, like, have my existential crisis while it's being recorded? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, my personal brand, as I'm trying to develop it now, is around, I guess, authenticity and communication. Um, and it's actually something that I'm, like, actively working on over the last, like, couple days, couple weeks of trying to figure out, like, if I'm going to start going after passive income, like, who the fuck am I talking to? Because it's not specifically photographers. It's not specifically sex positive people. It's none of these niches. And it's, it's really about communication and it's about the connectivity. And so my personal brand is going through a shift or I guess has always been going through a shift. I've always kind of felt like I'm one, not one step ahead, but just like one step to the left of everything that's going on and of the things that are about to happen. I feel like the conscious community and the in-person events and the availability that like we just spoke about of having actual human connection is about to get to this bubbling point where we fucking need it for our mental health, for our physical health. We have to have these connections. And so whatever that next iteration is of the yoga craze, of the mental health craze, that's where I think my personal brand is going to fit in is photos that step outside of the norm for Photoshop, uh, content that is more rooted in ethics versus clicks. And hopefully I can find a way to steer it into that niche. Do, do you think, when you talk about passive income, I mean, I know a lot of people like to use that term and I'm not sure if, I don't know, when you think about it, when you really, really, really go into it, it's like, mm -hmm such a thing as passive income because no absolutely not yeah, okay. yeah uh, i think but i think when i refer to that is i don't want to be 
I don't want to be charging a day rate. I don't want my day rate to be the only money that's coming in for me. I want to be able to go charge my day rate. And at the same time, I have my courses online that obviously I've put a fuck ton of sweat equity into to be making money at the same time while my physical body doesn't have to be involved in that process at that point. You, you work once and then you, but there's always going to be that work. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I guess maybe instead of passive income, it could, it should be residual income. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. a good time. That's a good time. And I mean, you know, I was going to ask this about writing a book because I know you do a lot of content writing. I know a lot of your, I think anyone that looks at your posts, I mean, the pictures are great, but then when you read the actual caption behind it, mm-hmm. that can, in some cases, for me at least, forget what I just saw in the picture um, because it's quite powerful the way it renders. So, would you ever create a book or some sort of collection of those captions or I don't know there's different ways of doing it these days um uh I would love to like writing a book is something that is definitely on my bucket list uh I would I would hope there are a couple books on my bucket list um as of right now I've I've had a couple uh, offers like not like full offers but I've had a couple meetings with publishers and I've had a couple other people kind of say the same thing is like you're really good with words why don't you do this and my answer is so far is I don't feel like I have lived enough to say something worth writing down. I, I like the captions, I like the catharsis of writing, but if I'm going to attach myself at infinim into something that's going to be physical and tangible and mine, I kind of think I have to have some gray hairs before I can do that. <laughs> but is it about the, I always say like, I always say this at work, because some people get surprised if, if someone's getting a promotion when they're young, and I'm like, it's not about the tenure, it's about the mileage on the clock. Absolutely. I need more mileage. I'm in, I'm in like that middle road of like the clusterfuck that's still happening and the lessons that I'm still learning from it. I'm in the thick of the work and I have a lot of opinions, but it doesn't mean that I'm ready to subscribe to them for long term. Yeah, I mean, you can get two 40 year olds. One's been doing 80 hours a week for the last 20 years and the other one's been doing like the average was at 40. Yeah. So, you know, you can have two people at the same age, but one's got twice as much, uh, twice as many miles on the clock. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, my assistant that I had is 22, and I look at her and I'm like, you're ready to write your book. <laughs> you, you lived a life, you've got your miles, like your book is there. Mine's not there yet. What, what's your number one advice to any artists out there who want to get into this freelancing book? I wrote this down because I wanted to really think of this. Okay. Um, advice I for artists. Money and the, the kind of money side and the non-money side, right? So. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely do that. Uh, On the money side, honestly, like the biggest thing that I think, because like I have so many freelancer friends and I love them and that's, that's kind of how I came up into this world is I just started hanging out with more of them. I'm like, oh, it's amazing that you can work four days in a row and then not work for 30. Like, I want that. I want that reality. And what I learned in so many of them that are true artists that are like, would, would kill or bleed or whatever for their craft is they know fuck all about business. And so many of them give their heart and soul and they get fucked over in the details because they either don't understand how to do a negotiation, they don't understand how to read or write a contract, or they don't know how to value their worth. Uh, Not understanding how to actually know if you're making money, how to track your profit margins, or to actually do a proper cost cost of doing business it's make or break in terms of actually being able to create momentum and move forward. And 
that was the big thing that like when I started doing it, I felt like I had the leg up is I had solid business knowledge and I had like mediocre artist knowledge. And I took my solid business knowledge. and I was like, I will make myself a business. And that's how it came up around it. So would you recommend uh, them learning their business skills or would you rec recommend them going to someone for the business skills? Uh, always learning as much as you can because ultimately it's going to come down to self-management and anytime you're outsourcing it's like the mechanic thing if you go to the mechanic and you don't know what they're saying they're gonna fuck you they're gonna take your money for as much as they can take out of you and so like it's great to have those resources I have an accountant I have other people that I go to for business things but I want to understand as much of that world as possible so that I can participate as much as I can yeah so, What's yeah part of what you do then because I find honestly like managing my own expectations of myself to be the toughest. Uh, what I think I'm capable of or what I think I want to do versus what I have the time to do versus the energy that I have to give to other people and trying to self-schedule 100% of your reality can become really daunting uh, and can also become a spiral where you just don't know where the time is going to come from. You don't know where the energy is going to come from. And as a result, you spend more time and energy just thinking about it than doing it. And so that kind of like giving into the process and giving over yourself to a project or an effort, I find to be the hardest. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or if that answers your question. Did you ever find that as well? I, I find that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, I think definitely, like, there's learned a lot, like, in that, whatever it was, hour and a half, or how long was it, Sass? I think an hour and 15, we started at, or maybe... Uh, hour and a half, maybe. Hour and a half, was it? Well, I don't know, maybe hour and 15. I know. I've learned a lot, and I, I think... Know. I don't know if you have any questions for us, but, like, I think there's definitely a lot there that we have to kind of yeah. like, go on and... Especially yeah, that was artist, really good. Especially from the artistry point of view, I don't know how you found it, Taylor, but um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much to learn and so much to kind of like look into. Especially when you talk about the mentoring side, like having a specific one for each particular. Mm. I think that's something that we've kind of missed. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a really individualistic process. I'd be curious, like, so who do you who do you have coming up next? Like, what types of people are you trying to talk to? So there's one chap, um, he's actually in the UK, but he lives in a different city. He's, um, he's got a very interesting story because he's a speech therapist. He, he coaches people how to give talks and he had a, sh I think he had a stroke at one point. Um, so he wasn't able to talk so to overcome that and come back on stage and he gave a TED talk too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's him and I think we've got a few other businessmen. Uh, CEOs that kind of made it from nothing almost uh, to see their story um, but yeah I think that's what it's all about kind of to tell a story uh, discuss something unique something that would add value like we call it a beautiful mind so it, it, it doesn't have to be restricted to just one aspect yeah um, so yeah obviously thanks for your time and thanks for coming on yeah thank you yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation and I'm glad we could make this happen. And uh, I hope whoever you saved earlier is alive and fine. Oh yeah, just, yeah. For, con just for context, um, if you don't live in London, obviously uh, it's hard to imagine, but sometimes people just pass out in the middle of the street. Yeah. <laughs> on bridges. And, and so, so I, I went up to this guy and um, 
like he wasn't responding. So my first, uh, I, I was going to try and turn him around because he was basically lying flat on his face. Oh, and uh, there was a, there were people standing there and one woman started <laughs> shouting, like, don't do that, don't move him. Because, like, you're going to hurt him even more. And I'm like, it's fine, I'm a doctor, yeah. I can do this. Even I was like, chill, he's a doctor, he's got this. <laughs> I think, like, and she goes, no, no, he's a fireman. He, what did she say? Like, she said, oh, he's a fireman. Yeah, it's like, what? Fireman, doctor? I, I don't I mean. see a fire here. Yeah, so that's just the context of that. So, yeah, um, hopefully it doesn't happen again. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we've got some more people lined up. And, yeah, we'll be sharing stuff. And, obviously, if... If when you release that book, you want to have a round two, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, don't hold your breath waiting. It's going to be a bit. But, uh, <laughs> Never know, like maybe next week. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? No, but we wish you all the best and like keep up the good work. Um, hopefully the rule makers don't uh, trouble you too much. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Hopefully you, uh, you'll still see me around on Instagram at least for a little bit. And if not, maybe you'll uh, make the jump to Patreon. <laughs> 